What do you picture when you think of invisibility? Maybe it's Harry and his invisibility cloak or Violet from The Incredibles. For season five of Modcast, we'll be stepping beyond the world of fiction and into the world of fact. I'm Malvika. And I'm Sam. Join us as we go full incognito to look into invisibility in all its shapes and forms. Welcome to Planet Earth, a world that is full of invisible people, processes, places and things. But before we look further, we must ask, what does invisibility look like in this world? Ah, our good friend AI. Okay, maybe not so much good friend, but the presence of AI is all around us whether we like it or not. Say, for example, unlocking your iPhone using Face ID. Or opening up your Insta Explore page to see what the algorithm has in store for you. Or autocorrect while writing an email. These all have something in common, and that's AI. But before we go any further, should we break down what AI actually is? Absolutely. And I'm sorry to disappoint, but it's not a half-human, half-Terminator cyborg. Simply put, AI is a branch of computer science that uses algorithms based on mass data to mimic human tasks. It aims to do this rationally, like that of a human, and without explicit instructions telling it to do so. The early intentions of AI set out to help with the growing workload of humans, particularly in areas concerned with learning, reasoning, knowledge retention and self-correction. However, like anything, AI hasn't been without its flaws. Where I work, maybe the most infamous version of that is what in Australia we've come to call robo-debt. Undoubtedly, this was artificial. Um, it's in no way clear that it was intelligent, both in its, um, in its internal characteristics. That's Dr. Owen Churches. He works in data at the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute, telling us about how the government's use of AI in their robo-debt scheme went wrong, largely due to their processing being strictly rule-based. Dr. Churches? Didn't he undergo a Winston Churchill Fellowship in 2018? It was in England, right, to report on the fairness and accountability of government decision-making algorithms. Yeah, he did. And a common complaint he found through his study was surrounding the people in charge of the control and development of AI. Vendors uh, were making a lot of money and uh, ill-equipped um, and unschooled people within government were rising through the ranks in order to be heads of artificial intelligence type operations, um, but not doing a very good job on it, purely on technical terms. And these systems were being deployed in healthcare and child protection and policing but they just went on their own merits as a technology very good. What I, what I learned over the six weeks uh, back in England when I met with uh, activists and, and academics and people working in the post-GDPR space um, within government in, in Britain was that the, the, the complaint about using these technologies um, at scale uh, across the population um, has to be contextualised a lot broader than just doing it's good as a piece of technology. It has to be doing good as a, as a piece of social policy. Um, and we have to think about uh, harms um, and, and costs in, in their most um, broad possible scope. Dr. Churches says that while AI can have a number of benefits and can improve our quality of life, the data set which it pulls from can cause a great deal of bias. In Australia, um, Indigenous Australians are... Um, a very small portion of the overall population, but are, are recognised as, as needing, for all sorts of really important reasons, um, equal protection. The problem is, is that a, an algorithm that's trained on 100% of the population uh, 
can look like it's performing very well on those characteristics of the whole population. But that smaller subset of the, of the population um, might have radically different characteristics and the algorithm might break down in, in, in terrifying um, and, as, as the term has come to be used, brittle ways. Algorithms can start producing quite aberrant results at the individual level um, because those individual people um, are, are often radically different to the, um, the smearing generality of the population at large. It's a sort of mathematical um, equivalent of the, the tyranny of the majority. Talking about pulling from a limited set of data, Sam, do you remember Chatbot Tay? Chatbot Tay? No, I, I don't think I've ever heard of her. Can you tell me a bit more? Of course. In March of 2016, Microsoft launched an AI chatbot called Tay on Twitter. It was targeted at 18 to 24-year-olds with the aim of experimenting and gaining research on conversational understanding. The team at Microsoft said Tay was designed to engage and entertain, and the more that Tay was tweeted at, the smarter she would get. However, they didn't factor in the bias that would be produced when only certain types of people spoke with her. It's only a few years ago when Tay tweets were busy um, citing Hitler and denying the Holocaust, uh, busy supporting Trumpism and making such declarations as feminism as cancer. Um, and all of that, you know, Tay, this, this chatbot, this softbot, had basically come under the influence of these malicious internet trolls who have been able to create all sorts of racist and sexist word associations through the machine learning program that Microsoft had unveiled. That's Professor Anthony Elliott, a sociologist, author of The Culture of AI, and executive director at the University of South Australia's Jean Monnet Centre of Excellence and Network. He says the issue with Tay was that despite her being smart, her programming lacked the understanding of contextualising what it was being taught. Chatbots are programmed to generate words that can be contextually correct. They're, they're relevant to a, to, a, to a point, but the point is those bots are not really taught to grasp what those words actually mean. You know, Tay didn't understand the political, the moral, the ethical dimensions of the specific words generated. So tell me, how can AI be better? Well, Professor Elliott says it shouldn't just be engineers, computer scientists and mathematicians behind this technology. We leave AI to engineers and computer scientists and mathematicians. You get this, you get this very simplistic notion of fantastic technologies that just will deliver you know, pure objective knowledge. Well, this is far from the case. We need fundamental uh, personal and public engagement from an informed citizenship in the very, very development and deployment of AI. AI can't just be rolled out as an expert technical system. And while many people think increased digital literacy might help with better understanding and improving the mechanics of AI, Dr Elliott says that's not the case. It's critical that we remain a party to that discourse, we engage with it, and we engage with it critically. So that's why I come back to the notion of digital literacy. Really fundamental that, you know, there's not just a, a, a digital literacy. A lot of people kind of think that increased digital understanding is we get kids into school and we start teaching them more maths, that that's going to give them digital literacy. Well, it's not. 
digital literacy is going to come from fundamental engagement, core critical skills. And so that's going to involve, you know, involvement with the social sciences, with the humanities, and of course, the creative arts. Well, what if there are some people that are hesitant about AI? They may not be alone, and their concerns are valid. Here's Dr. Churches. I think like like a lot of technology we use in society, there absolutely are risks and, and we shouldn't brush them off. Um, we wear seatbelts when we drive cars because we know that driving a car is in fact dangerous. And I think it's the same with artificial intelligence. We have to respect that this is an awesome and powerful technology and we can use it for good. Cars get us places that we couldn't get to otherwise. And artificial intelligence can help us make decisions um, that we simply wouldn't make were it not for for, for th- that additional outsourced level of, of decision support. So the benefits are, are great. We just have to work out ways to mitigate against the risk. However, Professor Elliott says if you've got concerns surrounding AI, then you're most likely onto something. I mean, artificial intelligence at the current juncture particularly given the lack of broader public debate, the lack of regulation, the lack of trying to develop a proper ethical framework that can deal with the immense challenging issues that it throws up, means that we're living in a time where there's sort of unparalleled possibilities for the potential destruction of the planet. I mean, if you look at just some of the major... um, uh, world scientists and public intellectuals that have issued statements about AI. You've got someone like Elon Musk, a person who presumably knows something about digital disruption, saying that he regards AI as a grave existential threat. You know, I guess what I'm saying is that the opportunities and the risks uh, jostle together, and they jostle together very uneasily at times. And it's, it's what we're going to have to do, as I see it, particularly in the next decade to 15 years, really try to press ahead and engage with, with what those opportunities and risks are. It's like we need, a, we need an assessment, a balanced assessment of, um, of these risks and opportunities so that countries like Australia can make informed decisions about where to next. So... Do you think we could live in a world without AI? The short answer is yes, but would we want to? I think that we would be depriving ourselves of an awful lot of better decisions being made. Use of artificial intelligence about how we can do this well, how we can do this for the reasons that we feel are are honourable and and respectful and, and promote justice. These are are the conversations that are important um, and we should all be talking about them all the time. Malvika and I would like to both thank Dr Owen Churches and Professor Anthony Elliott for their contributions to today's episode of Modcast on AI and bias. If you would like to see or hear more amazing examples of this invisible world that we live in, come and visit Mod's newest exhibition now or listen to the next episode of Modcast. This is two of four episodes in Modcast Season 5 Invisibility. This episode was produced by Malvika Hamanth and senior produced by Caitlin Ellen Moore from Radio Adelaide. 
Thanks to Dr. Owen Churches and Professor Anthony Elliott for their insights in this episode. And thanks also to Lisa Bailey, Lisa Burns, and Ali Kafora for additional series support and resources. Modcast Series 5 Invisibility is presented by MOD at the University of South Australia and is linked to an exhibition, which you can find at mod.org.au or in person. Before you go, here's Dr. Churches again with something to think about when it comes to technology. The complaint about using these technologies um, at scale uh, across the population has to be contextualised a lot broader than just doing it good as a piece of technology. It has to be doing good as a, as a piece of social policy. And we have to think about uh, harms and costs in, in their most um, broad possible scope. Some food for thought? 